You ever have, you know, you feel like the Lord wants you to do something or say something and all these different thoughts come up in your mind to try to keep you from doing it? They may not even be bad things. Like you may think of good things, but it knocks you off of what you already know the Lord told you to do or say. Anybody ever had that? That has happened all week long about this message I'm about to give you. Every single day, even this morning, there were things that would come up to try to prevent the word from coming. But I knew all along, it, God gave it to me and he wanted it to be spoken. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a second. You know, there are around the world, whether it's athletes or people in the top of their field who are elite, like of a different class. They're so good at what they do. Whether, I mean, think about athletes. You know, you think of elite athletes, Olympians, or people who, like Tom Brady, somehow is as good as he is for as long as he has been. Basketball, you think of somebody like Michael Jordan, who was the best of the best of the best. End of discussion. <laughs> he was all right. <laughs> or... I, I mean, when I think of elite, what, the name that comes to my mind is Michael Phelps, a guy who was so dominant in his sport, nobody came close, a guy who won his events by like five, six, seven links, a guy who just obliterated the pack every time he stepped into the pool. Like, if I'm a swimmer and I get put in Michael Phelps' heat, I'm thinking, great. <laughs> I was at least hoping to make it to the end. <laughs> like, I'm in Michael Phelps, there's not even a chance now. I think of somebody like that and these guys who are the pinnacle of what they try to do. Or musicians, you think of somebody like Yo-Yo Ma, somebody who is at the tip top of their game, elite at what they do. But it doesn't have to be musicians, it doesn't have to be athletes, it can be any field. Somebody who is at the best of the best. And those kind of elite category of people, they don't just get there by accident. They may have some natural proclivities, some, some habits, or, you know, some natural tendencies or, or skills, but they get there because of certain habits they have built into their daily routine. Somebody like Michael Phelps, you want to be an elite swimmer, all right? You got to eat 12,000 calories a day. You're thinking, man, I can do that. But then you got to work out for nine or 10 hours a day. You want to be elite, Michael Jordan, you got to practice more than anybody else on the planet. He used to say, growing up, he was always afraid somebody was practicing more than him. And so he would get to the end of his practice, ready to go in for dinner, and he would think in his mind, somebody's practicing more than me, and so he'd go another hour. Another hour, not just another five minutes, another hour. And he got to the elite status. You get to the elite because you have built certain routines in, from certain Habits about what you eat, certain habits about how you sleep, certain habits about how you work out, certain habits about how you train, certain habits about how you practice, certain habits about what you ingest and what can mess with your mind to keep you from being elite. You have it all dialed in so that you can get to that category. Well, those habits and things aren't just for athletes and musicians and different areas. There are things like that for Christians, for followers of Christ that habits, and they're called spiritual disciplines. They can take you next level. They can take you next level in any part of your life, no matter where you are in your Christian walk. You could have become a Christian this morning on the way to church. You could have become a Christian in the last five minutes 
And we're all in the same boat following after Jesus. As long as we pursue him as best we can. These spiritual disciplines are things we can build into our lives, like spending time with the Lord daily in Scripture. Praying on a consistent basis, not just when we eat food or listing off our you know, list of prayers we say every day, never really even actually thinking that God's going to answer them. But we just say them because of our list. But scripture, prayer, um, things in your life you build in, like telling people about Jesus or spending time in, in silence listening to him, that's a spiritual discipline. Sabbath. Say, that's a weird word. Taking a day off a week. Not just a day off to do yard work. Not just a day off so you can go run your errands. But the idea of a Sabbath is to reset your body and spend a day in worship to the Lord in all you do. That's a Sabbath. You spend the day doing chores, that's a chore day. That's not a Sabbath. It's different. God built it into our routine. He built it into our system on purpose. That's a spiritual discipline. Well, there's a spiritual discipline we're going to talk about today that is one of the least practiced of all the spiritual disciplines, but it is also quite possibly one of the most powerful ones, even though it's least practiced among Christians. And we're going to look at that over several scriptures. We're going to start in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. It's going to be on the screens, uh, or uh, if you want to use the Bible in the pew rack there in front of you, it's on page 921. Page 921. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's your Bible. You can have it. Go ahead and write your name in it. That's your Bible. Take it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, starting in Acts 13, uh, on page 921. See, what's going on here in the life of the church, the, the Christian church at this point in Acts chapter 13 has only been around for a few years. They had not been around very long. The guys who are leading the church don't really know what they're doing. Jesus didn't give them an outline. He didn't give them a textbook. He didn't give them a play-by-play of how everything was supposed to function and work and how it's supposed to be set up with you know, leadership. He didn't give them any of that. He just said, tell people about Jesus. And that was it. And so they went out and they started doing that. They didn't know how they were supposed to operate. And so all the, way, the only way that they operated was to listen to what the Holy Spirit told them to do, which honestly, if we were to be honest with ourselves, is how we should operate today anyway not based upon past knowledge or experience, which can be good and helpful, and the Holy Spirit can use that and guide that. But when that contradicts what the Spirit's telling our heart, we've got to listen to the Spirit instead. And so what these guys, these people are doing is they're just listening to the Spirit. What's the decision we've got to make today? I don't know. Let's ask God. Well, who are we supposed to appoint to go, to go on that mission trip? I don't know. Let's ask God. Well, how are we supposed to do that? I don't know. Let's ask God how we're supposed to do that. And so what we come on here in Acts chapter 13, there's a group of the Christians who are gathered together. They know that there's something the Lord wants to do among a certain group of people, but they don't know who's supposed to go and do it. And so they're just in a room talking to God, this group of people. And that's where we are. Acts 13, starting in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So they were worshiping and fasting, and then it says they were fasting and praying. That's what you call a parallel. The worship they were doing in verse 2 was the prayer, same prayer they were doing in verse 3. Their prayer was worship-filled. 
So they were praying and fasting. They were worshiping and fasting, all same thing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them in the midst of this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so they set part, Barnabas and Saul apart. They send them out on this mission trip. And the world's forever changed because of this moment right here. Saul goes out, starts to minister to Gentiles. They start calling him by his, uh, his Greek name, Paul. And he's the Apostle Paul. And nothing is the same ever again. But look at this right there in verse 2. Barnabas and Saul were not chosen through careful planning. They weren't chosen through an extensive pro and con list. They didn't, you know, the group didn't sit down and say, okay, let's get everybody's name on the list and let's see who is best for this and who is best suited for this, who's got the best resume for this, who's got the best experience to fit in that slot. They didn't ask that question at all. They're just seeking what the Holy Spirit wants. And they're sitting there, maybe standing there, and they're praying. They didn't say, who is the most qualified for this? Really, the only question was, who is chosen for this? And Barnabas and Saul are chosen because the Holy Spirit chose them. Not because anybody else did. Because the Holy Spirit said, those are the ones I want. Those are the ones who need to go. Those are the ones I have gifted for this specific job. And so the Holy Spirit was heard by the people in the room because the people in the room were positioned to hear him through two things in the passage. Prayer and what was the other one? Fasting. Baptists love to talk about that, right? That's why we have a hall down the, we have a big room called the fasting hall, right? Or is it the fellowship hall? The food hall, that's what it is. They were praying and fasting. And they heard the Lord speak. You see, the combination of pray, prayer and fasting, it enabled the people to hear the words of the Lord. It got them ready. It, it, it prepared their hearts and their spirit, that combination. You see, prayer and fasting gave the people ears to hear what the Lord was going to say. If you've ever read any of the Gospels, Jesus says it many, many times. Let he who has ears to hear, hear the words of the Lord. We, can have, we, we all have ears. Oftentimes, we don't hear with them very well. Don't raise your hands. But does anybody have someone in their life who they say something to and most often they don't hear them? Oh, pfft. I said don't raise your hand, y'all, because we immediately know who you're talking about. <laughs> some of y'all are yeah, <laughs> two hands, amen. Uh, <laughs> some of y'all are sitting next to them. Some of y'all gave birth to them. Um, you know, what's it called, selective hearing? You know, you can be sitting right next to them and say something, they don't hear it, but they're in the other room and the game's on and they hear everything the commentator says. You know, it's that kind of situation. Some of you are nodding more than you do when I say something, when we read scripture. Yeah, that's your most amen point right there. And so what this does, prayer and fasting though, it gives us ears to hear. Because these people had to have ears to hear what the Lord wanted them to do because they dare not do anything unless the Lord said do it. They weren't going to take that next step of faith unless God told them to do it. They didn't want to get out of line with what God had for them. And so they had to clean out their spiritual ears. And that's what fasting does for us. Fasting, it, 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 it cleans out and it fine-tunes our spiritual ears. It cleans out and fine-tunes our spiritual ears. Fasting done with the right heart is a spiritual tune-up and preparation for the next season. It gets us ready for whatever the Lord has for us. But it also 
fixes some things that may be out of calibration so that we can properly hear what the Lord wants us to hear. And fasting, you know, it's not some newfangled idea. You know, Jesus told, him, told us that his followers will fast in Luke chapter 5. He says they will fast. He didn't say they may fast, they might on occasion, a few of them who are super cool, they might fast. No, talking about his followers, he says my followers will fast. You want to look it up? Luke 5.35, you don't believe me, it's right there. They will fast. They will fast. It's a promise, it's a guarantee. It says it will happen. If they're my followers, it's going to be built into their structure at some point. And we see in scripture, great people of faith all fasted. Ezra fasted, Nehemiah fasted, Esther fasted, David fasted, Jeremiah fasted, Daniel fasted multiple times. We're going to look at some of that in a minute. King Darius, who was not a believer, but because of his interaction with a believer, he fasted. Joel fasted. The people of Nineveh fasted when they turned to the Lord. John the Baptist's disciples fasted. Jesus fasted. The leaders of the church of, in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, fasted. We, see, we just saw Paul and Barnabas fasted. You see, fasting, it, it, it wasn't designed to be something you do out on its own. Fasting works in tandem with prayer. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Two sides of the same coin to do something, to hear something, to follow the Lord with something. You see, fasting, what it does when it works with prayer, fasting really supercharges your prayers. Fasting supercharges your prayers in a way that you may not understand until you've done it. You, you can try to reason it out of your mind because it doesn't make any sense. You say, I don't understand how it works, spirit and body working together. That's kind of weird, but it's the way God built us. It's hardwired into us, and somehow it works. Fasting supercharges your prayer life in a way you have never experienced before. But what fasting does in supercharging your prayers, it doesn't force God's hand. Like, you can't be thinking, well, I really want God to do this thing for me. And so I'm going to fast while I pray for this thing, and it's going to make God do it. You can't make God do anything. God's going to do what God's going to do. But what fasting does, not making God do something, but it does supercharge our prayers... Fasting, really, it elevates our own personal sense of spiritual awareness. It takes our spiritual awareness to a whole new level, something we hadn't experienced before. It, it kind of removes the, 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 the malaise and the glaze that's over our eyes on occasion, and it takes us to a new spiritual level, so we're able to see and hear things we could not before. But fasting also prepares us. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus fasted. Before he started his public ministry, Jesus fasted. You would think if there's anybody in the history of the world who did not need to fast, it's Jesus. He's Jesus. But before he stepped out to do his ministry, to issue spiritual power at every juncture, at every moment, every meal, at, at every interaction with somebody, going to the cross, dying, raising from the dead, before any of that, he fasted. And he fasted for 40 days. He fasted. Matthew chapter 4, he fasted, preparing for what was to come. And he said some specific things of how we are to fast in Matthew chapter 6. Having fasted as he did for 40 days, a couple chapters later in Matthew 6, that's the next passage we're going to look at, uh, Jesus talked about fasting. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus said, And when you fast... 
Now, first, right off the bat, right? When you fast. So fasting is presumed by Jesus for his followers. He says, when you fast. Like, he's assuming it's going to be done. It's like when you tell your kids, when you empty the dishwasher, be careful with the glasses. You're presuming it's going to be done. When you take out the trash, tie off the top first or it will spill everywhere. You're presuming it's going to be done. So Jesus is saying, when you fast, talking to his followers, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, hypocrites disfigure their faces. Really, what would happen is the people who wanted other people to know they were fasting would make it obvious that they were. They would talk, man, I am so hungry because I've been fasting. Oh, I've been fasting because I'm holy and, and I'm perfect. And I, I know the Lord way better than you do because I'm fasting again today. And, and they would let it be known that they were fasting. And, but look at what he says. He says, people like this. He says, they have received their reward. This is important. In something he said in the next verse. He says, they have received their reward. So instead of you know, fasting and prayer, working in tandem, working hand in hand to hear from the Lord, that's the reward, to hear from the Lord. That's what you're seeking, the goal. That's what you want from the fast. You want to hear from the Lord, have some revelation, be prepared for what's coming. Instead of the reward being from God, when you fast and make it be known in such a public way in order to be known as a faster, that's your reward. Not a gift from God, but recognition by other people. Would you rather have recognition from other people or recognition from God? And so that's what G Jesus is saying this. If you do it to be seen, in order to be seen as holy and better and, and, and you know, to, to put yourself above other people, then that's the only reward you're going to get. That's it. God's not going to speak into that because you're doing it with the wrong heart. So Jesus says, that's your reward. But when you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, those aren't necessarily religious, you know, practices. What he's saying there and what they would do in the first century, he just, this is basically, you know, look, don't look like you're fasting. Don't make it obvious. Like he just said, people disfigure their faces to make it look like they're fasting. He says, no, don't do that. Do the opposite. Clean yourself up so nobody can see it. Make it look like you don't, you aren't fasting. Make it look like everything is normal because it's between you and God. It's not between you and other people and God. It's between you and God. Sometimes there are occasions, as, as we, we mentioned a minute ago, particularly in the book of Joel, uh, where a group of followers would gather together and fast corporately. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, too. For a specific purpose, specific preparation, specific word. But it's in order to have the focus fixed on God and not on ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, don't fix the focus on yourself because that's all the reward you're ever going to get is people looking at you. You see, because fasting is denying ourselves for spiritual purposes. But when we draw attention to our fasting, we're indulging ourselves for prideful purposes. And that negates the purpose of the fast. And so then, any spiritual reward, an answer, a direction, a blessing, a revelation, we cast all of that aside in favor of approval from people in order to, uh, when we intentionally draw attention to our spiritual practice for our own sake and not the sake of God. 
And then he says there in verse 18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who knows your heart will reward you if you're doing it for him. The reward from the Lord will be forthcoming in whatever way he wants it to come. He will present the, the, the result in, in his manner and in his timing. You know, sometimes we approach the Lord with prayers in, or a combination prayer and fasting and we want God to do a certain specific thing in a certain specific way, in a certain specific order, at a certain specific time. And we've got it all laid out for him of how he's supposed to do it. But the difficulty with that is we're not approaching the Lord with a right heart when we're demanding God do certain things in certain ways. We approach the Lord with a humble heart, accepting his will be done. Just as Jesus prayed in the garden, Jesus himself prayed in the garden. Lord, may this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. We're content to walk the path of whatever God lays before us, happy to accept his design. And so prayer, prayer and fasting brings us to his level. But the thing about fasting too, though, there's more than one kind of fast. Daniel teaches us this. We're going to look there, Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 10, just a second. But the traditional sense fasting, you don't eat. You don't eat for a certain period of time. Uh, you, you drink water, but you don't eat food to try to hear from the Lord. And, you know, you can do this for days on end. I mean, once you go past the first, if you've ever done an extended fast, the first three days are the toughest. First, it always so if you do a three-day fast, you're only getting to the hard part. <laughs> you're getting to where it gets the, the hardest. If you, if you end up doing like a seven-day, no-food fast, uh, once you get past day three, things begin to shift. Um, and the headaches start to go away, and uh, some of the other difficulty and digest, digestive issues begin to, to adjust after day three. Um, but there's more than just no-food fast. Daniel teaches us this. The man who... From, we tell from scripture, fasted the most. Who's presented as fasting the most. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and some of his friends had been taken captive, prisoners of war. And they'd been taken into the king's house because they were special. They were really smart, really good looking. But the king had a, a, a um, I guess a school set up, designed for his prisoners of war who were special that was supposed to brainwash them and supposed to feed them special food and brainwash them to bring them to an elite status as the king saw fit. And so they go in there to, to the king's special school, but the food and the drink that the king set before them to bring them to what he thought was elite status was food that, as a Jew, Daniel was not supposed to eat, was drink Daniel was not supposed to drink. And so Daniel had trouble with this. When you do something the king doesn't want you to do as a prisoner of war, that usually means death. And so look at what happens. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so jump down to verse 12. This is what he said. He said, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so he says, we're not going to eat that stuff, we're going to fast from that stuff and only eat vegetables and drink water. Instead of drinking the wine you have, we're only going to drink water. Instead of eating the food you have, we're only going to eat vegetables. 
He says, this is what we're going to do. And the, the guy who was in charge of him, uh, he said, well, if at the end of the time in this school, the king looks at you and you look worse than the other guys, it's not just going to be your heads, it's going to be mine for letting you do this. And so Daniel said, all right, let's do this. Set up a trial for 10 days. You let me and my friends do this, fast in this way, just eat vegetables and drink water, and you let all those other guys eat and drink what the king said before them. And you see who is not only looking better, but functioning better in your school. And so he did the trial for 10 days, and sure enough, Daniel and his friends were far and away better than all the other guys. And so that guy who was in charge of all the POWs uh, changed everybody's diet, just made an edict. Okay, everybody's going to eat this way and drink this way uh, because they're outpacing all you guys. And so he changed it. Well, as Daniel continued on throughout his life, lots of political turmoil and upheaval happened, but he continued to be faithful to the Lord and prayed and fasted periodically throughout his time with the Lord. He didn't have it set up where like every, you know, Tuesday he fasted. Now, this, this did happen with some of the Jewish leaders later on. They saw fasting as a good thing, so they made it a rule. You got to fast twice a week on these two days. But when you do something like that and you make it a rule, you kind of remove its power. And so they would do it. The people who were faithful in that way did it every week, but it didn't have the power it was supposed to have. They just used it as a symbol of their holiness instead of seeking the Lord on a consistent basis like that. Which is why I read you that list of all those people who fasted in Scripture. You don't see any one of them fasting as a set rule on a consistent basis. Actually, you see each one of them fasting only occasionally, maybe once, maybe twice, except for Daniel, fasted like three or four times. But it wasn't the exact same time every time. And so Daniel fasted there in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at one more place he fasted, Daniel chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So three weeks, 21 days. He says, I ate no delicacies or choice food. And then he tells us what he didn't eat, the choice food was. He tells us what the delicacies were. He says, he ate no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. So Daniel chapter 10 here, this is a 21-day fast. And then he, at the end of 21 days, he gets an answer from the Lord. A 21-day fast. And he didn't eat these delicacies, meat or wine. And we can tell back from Dan chapter 1, that means he only drank water. So he uh, uh, followed the Lord in this way, trying to pursue the Lord, trying to hear from the Lord. And the Lord gave him an answer at the end of 21 days. Um, and so following a fast, if I were to follow a, a fast like this, Daniel chapter 10, for 21 days, and uh, ate no meat, which I eat meat every meal, uh, and then drank only water, for me, that would mean giving up coffee. I love coffee. Greg, you see me almost every day. I have a coffee cup in my hand all the time. You say, and, and I'll tell you, I, let me just be transparent with you guys. Talking about fasting now, some of you have already been arguing in your mind about whether or not you want to fast. You feel the Lord convicting you to fast. Be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And you're already trying to, and the only reason I know this is because I, I, I'm going to tell you, I do this. I, and I did this like a couple weeks ago when the Lord brought me this. Um, you're trying to find a loophole in the fast in order to be able to still do, eat and drink what you want to. And the way I know this is because I tried to do this with coffee. When, the, when I start, first started studying this scripture, I tried to say to God, okay, God, coffee is just water poured through dirt. 
just water. I can, it's just water, God. I can swing that. And then God said, yeah, but you put that creamer in it. Yeah, I do. Is there a way to do it so the creamer's not liquid? That I can still drink the watery dirt and, and still... But then the Lord really brought it to my mind. Okay, if I'm trying to find a loophole, then I'm not following what the Lord wants me to do. If we try to operate as the Lord would have us operate in loopholes, then we're not really following the Lord. And God said, all right, you really want to do this, and you want to lead the church to do this, then you've got to stop the coffee, man. I said, fine. And so I know some of you are trying to find those loopholes because I am you. Trying to figure out how you can get by. Last time we did a fast as a church, and we did a no meat for 21 days, like Daniel chapter 10. I got a text, like the night of I preached this. Say, is fish meat? Can I... Really? I mean, if I, okay, cow, chicken, fish. I get, fish is okay. It's not really meat. I mean, you know, they're in the water. It's not meat. Fish is meat. <laughs> if it comes from an animal, if you kill an animal and you eat the animal, that's meat, okay? Um, it's, it is. Stop looking for the loopholes. I'm with you. I try. Try to figure it out. Try to, you know, outsmart God in how to do the fast so I can still enjoy my stuff. But that's removing the whole point of the fast, trying to dig your way through it to outsmart God. And so what I'm going to call the church to do is a church, I'm going to ask the church to do a Daniel fast. Daniel fast from Daniel chapter 10 for 21 days, starting on January the 2nd. I mean, January 2nd is a long way away. We still got Thanksgiving. We still got Christmas. Seven weeks. It's seven weeks from now. You know why I'm giving you seven weeks head start? It's going to take some of you seven weeks to process this information. It's going to take some of you seven weeks for God to say, yeah, stop digging that loophole about that one. Stop going there. Preacher talked about coffee. I know you're still trying to drink coffee. And God wants you to do it. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to fast. Maybe God's not leading you to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We're getting that men's breakfast in now because we're not to the fast yet. You got Thanksgiving and Christmas before the fast, so we're good. Um, but I'm, what I'm asking the church to do is to fast for 21 days, starting January the second, and then 21 days later, January the 23rd. Math is right. I mean, we're going to have a feast that day, a celebration as a church of what God has done for some of us during that time, and what God is going to do but also a chance to eat really good food at the end of the fast. We'll have coffee at the, fe at the feast. And so I'm giving you this because we did this as a church this year. We started 2021 off with a 21-day fast, Daniel fast, Daniel chapter 10 fast. We didn't know what God was going to do in 2021. We didn't know all that was coming. But what we saw God do through that is God prepared us for what was coming with perseverance, and strength, and then 25 days in October were 77 decisions, 79 decisions, sorry, 62 salvations. Yes. <laughs> and don't begin to tell me that would have happened if we hadn't started the year off the way it was. If our hearts had not been set right at the beginning. 
And so what I'm calling the church to do is we're going to fast, January 2nd through January 23rd. Daniel fast. No meat, drink only water. And we're going to see what the Lord does with that. Some of you have been seeking answers from the Lord about a specific issue. He's going to give you an answer in those 21 days. Or maybe like Daniel, at the very end of that 21 days, boom, angel shows up and gives you an answer. Maybe you've been seeking healing about something. Maybe something's going to happen in 2022, in October, and he's got to get us ready in January. Well, you have seven weeks between now and January 2nd to get ready. Because as a church, I'm telling you right now, I've seen God do some incredible things. I've seen God heal people right in front of my eyes. I, I, I've seen cancer disappear from people. Uh, I've seen blood clots <laughs> from the moment that the, the ambulance picked them up to the moment they got to the doctor somehow disappeared in the intervening time. Somebody who busted down with a stroke didn't have anything wrong by the time they got to the hospital. I've seen God do amazing things. Amazing things. I have never seen 62 salvations in 25 days. And it's not all just one event. Revival, yeah. That started before the revival started. <laughs> As a result of the, just the people doing what the Lord laid on their hearts. And so what we're going to do is we're going to fast. And the Lord's preparing. The Lord's setting us up. The Lord's doing something incredible. Starting January 2nd, this is what we're doing. And so you have to ask yourself then, will you consider joining the fast? You got seven weeks to get all your arguments out with God. Go read what, what happened when God called Moses and he started offering excuses to God. He started trying to find loopholes with God. God let him argue for a while and then God finally told him, yeah, you need to stop. You're going to do it. Will you join the fast with us? Will you be a part of God's movement and God's hand and what God is doing? Yet, do you, really, do you need a spiritual tune-up? Do you need your spiritual ears cleaned out? Do you want to supercharge your prayers and your faith? Then this is what we're going to do. Maybe just talking about fasting gets you really hungry. My stomach is growling right now. But it's in preparation for what the Lord has for us. Maybe what you need to do today in talking about this, and you say, well, I don't know about fasting. I don't know about all this mess. What you need today is you need faith. You need to have faith in order to fast for. And so if you don't have faith yet, you've got all this, maybe this knowledge about Jesus, but you don't have faith yet. You haven't yet believed that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and that he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Well, then today's your moment. This is your moment to believe in Jesus, to have a faith that he can supercharge. It starts somewhere. So those two questions, number one, will you believe in Jesus today? And if you're watching online, right below, wherever this video is, Facebook, YouTube, on our website, there's a button, a link that says, I made a decision. You click on that, and it's a little form. Ask your name, phone number, email, and then what your decision is. You fill that out, it comes right to my phone, I'll call you today. And you make that decision. Let it be known you made a decision for the Lord. If you're in the room and you made a decision for the Lord, what we're going to do in just a second, or you want to make a decision, is I'm going to pray, and after I pray, I say amen. 
That's what I'm going to say at the end of the prayer. Amen is your cue to come down front and talk to me and say, I made a decision. I want to make a decision for the Lord. I, or maybe it's not just salvation. Maybe you want to get baptized like you saw this morning. You can get baptized today. Water's still there. Not everything wet. Well, we, we, you saw this morning. We got robes. We got T-shirts. You can have them. You can wear them. We can baptize you today. If you want to become a member of this church and what God is doing, you can join today and come to that new member deal next week. Find out more info. But God's saying you need to do it now and do that fast in January. You can do that today. Maybe you just need to come and pray down here at the, at the steps. Pray for somebody in your life. Maybe there, there has been a burden you've had for some time. Or maybe it's a person that you have a burden for. And you're really praying desperately for them. And that's what you are going to be fasting for is God's movement in that person's life. And you need to come and pray for them now. And pray that your heart would be right as we dive into this fast in January. So whether you need to make a decision for the Lord or you need to come and pray, when I say amen, that is your moment to start coming. At the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, the invitation, come. So I'm asking you now, will you come? Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you that I thank you that we can talk to you, that we can know you. We, your creation, can know you, our creator. And you gave us this gift of prayer to be able to communicate in this way. We don't have to go through some intermediary to be able to talk to you, some other person to say stuff to you for us. We can talk straight to you and with you, have a conversation with you. And you gave us this gift of fasting that you built into our bodies when you made them. That can elevate our spiritual awareness beyond what it sometimes becomes. It's bogged down with and muddied. God, I pray that you would prepare us just as you did this year gave us strength, gave us patience, perseverance, long-suffering, fortitude, compassion, mercy, extended to us that we then extend in the life we have here on this planet. God, I pray you would work in our hearts as we get ready for this deal. Show us what we need to be pursuing and being prepared for and those around us in our families and in our inner our circles, our, our siblings. Some, somebody in the room has some siblings that need you. I pray that we would desperately cry out to you. And find direction blessing and revelation through fasting and prayer. And as that does, supercharge our prayer, supercharge our faith. God, I pray that if someone in the room, someone online needs to begin their walk of faith, their life of faith, they would do it now. Believing in you, 
your son Jesus, his death and resurrection, having their life changed, their path changed. And they would come forward today to follow you in belief, follow you in baptism, follow you in joining the church. Help us all decide to follow Jesus today. In your name I pray.